0: Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done, good, done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice. We will obey. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, we are in our second sermon in this series called habits. And this morning uh, we are looking at the habit of putting first things first. And my initial inclination is that if you're here this morning, you may be good at this habit uh, since it's quite cold and snowy and icy outside. But also my understanding is that we are able to put first things first in some areas of our lives and, and uh, fall short a little in other areas. So I know God is going to speak to us this morning. Perhaps you're familiar with the phrase carpe diem, seize the day. Or maybe, strike while the iron is hot. I think that's the hillbilly version of that. Uh, The early bird catches the worm. Or gather ye ye rosebuds while ye may. Or there's no time like the present. All of these uh, phrases uh, say, hey, today is the day. I think Joshua may have uh, been the first one to say, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day. And so I want to uh, just uh, be very fair to you to say that I will give you an opportunity to make a choice today. That it would make no sense to preach a sermon that says, Choose you this day whom you will serve and not ask you to choose today uh, whom you will serve. Uh, Joshua makes that clear here. Putting first things first means doing the most important things in life. It means being clear about your priorities and acting on them. Uh, The book of Joshua, let me give you just a little bit of background. The book of Joshua spans a period of 20 years, and in that 20 years, Joshua has come in. He's led the people to take uh, the land that belonged to them. That's the first half of the book. And in the last half of the book, they settled that very land. So in the first half, uh, it's conquering, it's fighting, and it's wonderful. If you like battles, this is your book. If you like to read about fierce uh, contests, this is it. They're quite victorious except for once. And now that they're settling, Joshua has instructions for them. It, It is an era that's ending in Israel's history. If you read the end of Joshua 24, three prominent people die. Joshua dies... Uh, Eleazar, who is Aaron's brother, Aaron was Moses, who is uh, Aaron's son. Aaron was Moses's brother. Eleazar dies and Joseph's bones are buried as he had instructed them to. There's a whole generation that is, that's leaving. And this whole generation is leaving this group of people in a country and they have a desperate need to settle that country. So this entire generation is leaving. There's a group of people in a country, and these instructions are huge. Maybe you sit here this morning, and, and your mom and dad are no longer in the picture. Uh, maybe it is your place to carry the gospel mantle for your family. And, and it's the first time it's been that way. Maybe you just went through the holidays and realized if I'm not the voice of reason and right and God in this family, there won't be one. If that is the case, this kind of passage is for you. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, how do you make such a choice? Uh, You, if you were here last week, are going to find the the first step to be eerily similar to last week's. Put away foreign gods. Uh, And some of you are saying, well, Jerry, didn't we get enough of that last week? Well, if you put away your foreign gods, yes. And if you didn't, no. Here we go again. Put away foreign gods i tell you something that surprises me every time I read it. If you go prior to what James read, you will discover these words. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, so, so all the tribes, they've gotten their lands, now they're gathered on their lands, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, verse 2 Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. All right, so I have a great admiration and respect for Abraham, he is the father of many nations. He is the one whom God said, hey, uh, leave. And he left. Abraham left Mesopotamia. But I must remember that before he left, he was an idolater. He was a polytheist. He worshipped many gods in Mesopotamia. He lived in that little uh, crook. If you recall doing your homework of the Tigris on top, that's how I teach it, the Euphrates on the bottom, that little V right there. He lived in Ur, right where the Tigris and Euphrates meet. Uh, This was the the land of, uh, of great fertility, and that's where Abraham was. And there he uh, worshiped all kinds of gods. Lest you sit here and perhaps think this morning that you've done something to cause God to lean your way and and, and cause God to uh, draw you to himself. When God called Abraham, his name was Abram then, when God called Abram, Abram had shrines uh, if he was like all of the other Mesopotamians set up to all kinds of gods. Abram didn't have it all together. Uh, We encounter him that way, but lest you might think that some reason what you bring to the table, God looks at and he thinks it's kind of like Play-Doh and you've brought some vibrant colors and he'll put them all together. No, he he makes the Play-Doh. He he designs it from the get-go. And so it is with Abram, in order for him to leave Mesopotamia, he had to do what? Put away foreign gods. It's been the track record. And then God says, put away, or Joshua through, God through Joshua, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. If you read a couple passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they, they worshiped um, uh, goat idols, And they worship demons. Those are the two that are mentioned. Goat idols and demons. And then he says, and the God of the Amorites. Who are they? The Amorites are in Canaan. So so get this. The children of Israel have been in the promised land for 20 years. And already they have begun to worship the gods of the Amorites in the land in which they have settled. Uh, we are so prone to idolatry. Uh, Who were those gods? I must mention them. Uh, There was a god by the name of Amaru and his wife, Aseratum. You say, Jerry, why do you care? Uh, Track with me and I'll let you know why you should care. Amaru was uh, a shepherd god, god of the mountains. Aseratum's name means lady of the desert. The reason I share this with you is that in my own personal experience of idolatry and in my own experience of counseling people who have been idolatrous, the gods we worship go from the absurd to the acceptable. The absurd goat idols. Give me a break. Who in their right mind would worship a goat? Most of you know I teach Old Testament at Montreat. I don't know how this got into my students. I sure hope that somehow I didn't confuse them in such a way. But but we were going over the passage in Numbers where, you know, the people sin and they, uh, God sends serpents in. And so they put a serpent, Moses puts a serpent on a pole and they go out and look at the pole and they're saved and, and, and they don't die anymore. And so my tests rather straightforward all just blanks on this one and i said god put a or moses put a blank on a pole uh, so that the people could look at it and i had more than one student write goat goat i went back into class and called the one out just said what kind of pole holds goat i mean we have to massive pole uh, but they worship goats, but then they worship demons. That's atrocious to worship demons. I have been around those who do. Someone who worships demons is a wholehearted, committed follower of Satan himself. Those do exist in the world, those people do exist. Satan has his own church, his own worshipers. And then there is the acceptable. A God named Shepherd, right? Lady of the Desert, the acceptable idols that we kind of go. Well, they sound so good. You say, what might that look like in in my life? The absurd. Uh, the absurd is. Uh, Wendy and I were in Vegas a few months ago, and we paused the hotel we were in had a casino and we paused and there's a woman sitting there smoking up a storm and she's got one hand banging on this machine and the other hand is just going up and down like this. And I thought if I were to video her and just say, could you watch yourself? It was, she was so into it that a crowd had gathered to watch her. Um, I'm told by folks who have worked at Harris that adults wear diapers there so they don't lose their spot in front of their machine and they just use the bathroom on themselves you, you may laugh at that but I have sat with people who've lost everything they owned with gambling. And it seems absurd to you if you've never struggled with it, doesn't it? You see, my absurd idol is alluring to somebody else. There are some of you, the alcohol is absurd for you. It's absurd for you to go near it. It will entrap you. You can't touch it, and you know it, so you should never go near the absurd idols. There are the atrocious ones, but then there are the acceptable idols. What are they, especially in our country, sports? It's okay to worship sports. We're good with that one. Yeah, if your if your son or daughter is good at sports, then you build your whole family life around it. Um, it's okay to worship work. We applaud people who do that. It's okay to worship material things. You're you're applauded as being successful. You say, well, how do I know? I mean, it's okay to play a sport. Yes, it, it's okay to go to work. You better. How do I know? Here you go. Symptoms of idolatry, you'll see them on the screen, uh, are this. You're crushed when you don't get what you want. You're crushed when you don't get what you want. If when you have to pull your kid away from the video game, he or she pitches a fit, idolatry. Easy to detect. You stake your happiness on getting what you want. You grumble and complain when you don't have what you want. You demand what you want. What are the four common fra- the one common phrase in those four statements? What you want. It controls your life. Put away foreign God. secondly incline your heart to the Lord. Look at verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now, they're worshiping other gods as they say this. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up, brought us and our fathers up from from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord for he is our God. And most counselors and most pastors would have stopped right there, right? Most people would have gone, yay, good work, well done. That's what you got to do. You're done and you're going to worship God. And here comes Joshua with what scholars have called the most shocking statement in all of scripture. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. You can't read that and not be shocked. You are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Joshua, that's not a good sales pitch. I mean, if you, this is your last speech, Joshua, do you want to be remembered as the guy who looked at the people when they were listening to you and said, you can't serve the Lord. But that's what he said. And I would add to his message, you are not able to serve the Lord. And you're saying, well, gee, thanks, Jerry. So why? Let me touch on a couple of nuances here that are very, very important. Notice their verbal commitment. They are following God for what? For what he has done for them. Did you see that? Listen, let me read it again. Then the people answer, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up who did great signs, who preserved us in all the way. He drove out people. Therefore, we'll serve him. What are they doing? They're ready and willing to serve God as long as God, what? Serves them. (gasps) What does that look like? Well, if you sign up to serve God because of all that God can do for you, what are you going to do when he doesn't answer your prayer the way you thought he should? Will you still serve him then? What will you do when the diagnosis is cancer? What will you do then? What will you do when your boss just clamps down on you and it's unfair? Do you know what you'll do? I'm telling you because I've heard it and still do and will again and again in my office. Well, if God, God hadn't done this, I've prayed and God didn't do this. I asked God for this and this didn't happen. Blame God. That's what you'll do. You'll blame God. If you sign up to serve because God will serve you, as soon as He doesn't serve you, you're out. you know what you've done? Oh, this is so, such a fine line. You've made an idol out of God's gifts. It's what you've done. Parents, if you've ever given your kids something at Christmas and they seem dismissive and ungrateful, you know how God could feel at this point. So Joshua says, you can't serve the Lord. Also, let me say this. This needs to be said. We have people every year and I'm thrilled and I love you who come to Christ at grace, who are struggling and battling significant addictions. Several of you are sitting here this morning. If you come to God Only because you're hoping he'll make you never ever want alcohol again. The first time you want it again, you will be disappointed with God. And do you know what? I've sat in recovery mode with people and their view of God just so narrow. So narrow god you should have and fill in the blank so what does joshua say but joshua said you're not able to serve the lord for he is a holy god all right so they say we will serve god for what he has done god says you can only serve god for who he is do you see this Joshua says, He is a holy God. You you can serve Him for who He is, but if you serve Him for what He will do and what He does doesn't meet up with what you wanted, then all of a sudden your faith is shattered. But if your faith is in who God is and not what God can do, then you'll be able to serve Him. In a couple of weeks from today, I will not be here, I will be in Africa. And I will be worshiping that morning underneath a a large mango tree with Pastor Chertna, who is so bright, and his wife, Esther. And do you know what I sit there and wonder, or if I'm preaching that day, do you know what goes through my mind? God, why? Why am I in the United States and I live in my comfortable home and I have all the things that I have? And here's Chariton that he lives in a house that's not as large as the stage with 10 children. And there's joy on his face and exuberance in his heart as he worships the Lord. You talk about coming to Christ in 95% Muslim Senegal and giving your life to the Lord. You're not coming and signing up for everything God is going to do for you. You're coming because of who he is. Well, we were over there a year ago, young woman baptized. What do we do here when somebody's baptized? What's our first thing, church? That's it. We clap. So there's five of us, right? And uh, she's going to be baptized. She goes into the water and she's standing there like this. And there is not a smile on her face. And we're looking. And when she goes into the water and she comes out, there's not a smile on her face. And honestly, we had this and we all looked at each other, hands down. Why? She just lost her mom, her dad, her brothers, her sisters. She lost it all. To do what? Follow Christ. She lost it all. Every bit of it. She's not smiling. We're not clapping. Is she happy to know the Lord? Yeah. Oh, wow. We're so spoiled, aren't we? We're so spoiled. We're just so spoiled. Some of you are thinking right now, wow, Jerry, I thought maybe at least I'd get an attaboy for coming this morning. This hurts. So what do you do? Let me tell you something I've, I've started to do that helps me tremendously. Alan Michael makes fun of me for all my allusions to Isaiah six in my sermons. He says it's at least every other week. And uh, so let me tell you why. There is no other passage in all of scripture where I see the glory of God so profound. And Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, first of all, I couldn't imagine that God's robe is so massive. Uh, The temple was magnificent that just the hem of it would fill the entire temple. And then there are seraphim flying around. They have six wings. That's just wild to imagine. So here's how I've begun to pray just in the past week or two, and it's helped me. And I just want to share it with you this morning because I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. Do you ever struggle to focus in your praying? Like you start to pray and your mind goes like 80,000 directions. I do. I even have to bounce around my, my living room and pray in different chairs on different days just to try to keep focused. I just go everywhere. I have to keep my planner nearby. Things are bouncing and flying into my head all the time. And I'm like, how? I can't get focused on the Lord. I so struggle. But here's what's... Let's help me. I'll begin to pray and I'll say something like this. Oh, Lord, you're enthroned in heaven above the cherubim and the seraphim, above all the rulers of the earth, God, you are enthroned. And Father God, your your robe, just, just your robe, just the sight of your robe caused Isaiah to bemoan himself. And Father, if the seraphim who've never ever sinned if they've never ever touched sin can in your presence must cover their eyes. And if in your presence, Father, they must cover their feet and with two wings they fly. And if with those two wings, Lord, uh, that they fly their mouth, they can only say one word uh, three times. Holy, holy, holy is the is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. And, and I'll pray, Father, if the whole earth is full of your glory, where am I missing it? And where am I not seeing you and, and father i cannot at all come into your presence if that's the case there's no there's no plan no way god there's no way how could i ever approach you if if they who have seen no sin must cover their eyes and they must cover their feet and they say holy 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 is the lord of hosts and it is transformed how I view God because often my view of him is too little and it is too low and he's like some grandpa in the sky and I need some stuff and and he is indeed holy. And then I realize that he bids me in that that God who is so high and holy and I am so meek and lowly he says, come in. And I found myself like Isaiah when he said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of only unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and maybe then I'm ready to talk with him. Maybe then Maybe. Maybe. He's holy. Joshua says he's jealous. I was going to go into an Ezekiel passage, but too many kids in the room. It's way too graphic. But Ezekiel pictures two sisters, and those sisters—one is Judah in the north, the other is Israel in the south. And the words Ezekiel uses to describe them, your kids don't need to know. Why? Because they've cheated on God. He's jealous. I know it's really fun to read, but the phrase make room for Jesus in your heart, no, you either give him all of it or he has none of it. No, you don't, you don't make him a little room, give him a little space. He's either your God or he's not. Wow. Wow. When you follow God for who he is and not what he can do, you will be more likely to persist in faithfulness. All oh, that we would see him, amen? All oh, that we would see him. A.W. Tozer said this What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Wow. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So true. If he's down here, you will disregard him the rest of your life. Joshua 24, 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. I know there's some of you with an overactive conscience in here and you're thinking, oh, no, 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 no. This is for somebody who has just completely dismissed God and gone away from him. Incline your heart what is the heart? It's the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's the center of our moral and, and uh, spiritual life. Uh, Jesus said... Uh, Answering a question the teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest of first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Only these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Remember just a moment ago that God's so high and holy and us so meek and lowly. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is this is for us to love him. Love him. He dwells in inapproachable light, yet Christ through the cross has made him completely approachable so that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two, completely torn in two. That went into the Holy of Holies so that you and I can go in Hebrews 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And then we get very practical and some of you are waiting for me to get here and I am. established boundaries. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve his voice. We will obey. So Joshua says, all right. He made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. Boundaries are essential. All right, don't check out on me here. This is where you put into practice what, whatever it is you need to do. And some of you need to do it. And you're going to have a chance to begin it today. Henry Cloud in his classic book, Boundaries, says this. Boundaries help us keep the good in and the bad out. Setting boundaries inevitably involves taking responsibility for your choices. You are the one who makes them. You are the one who must live with their consequences. And you are the one who may be keeping yourself from making the choices you could be happy with. Please hear me. This is so very common. And again, for people who come to Christ, who battle, as we say, kind of in our culture, demons. Once you come to Christ, you can never, ever, ever say again, The devil made me do it. Because he has no power over you but what you give him. So don't blame the devil on your demons. We must own our own thoughts and clarify distorted thinking. So what what do boundaries look like for you? For some of you, touched on it already. You should never, ever, ever take another drink of alcohol. You just can't. Others of you have got some friends. I'll put that word in quotes that you need to lose because they are not your friends and they drag you down. Others of you have family members who do the same. So you must discreetly and graciously distance yourself from your family members who pull you into sin. You have to because it's like poison. Others of you cannot carry indiscriminate amounts of cash. You just can't do it because the lottery ticket calls your name every time you drive by the store. You can't do it. And still there are others of you who cannot have unfiltered internet. You can't. It's too much. I don't know what your boundary is, but you... You know, put, put, put them in place. Healthy boundaries. What, whatever they may be, you know what they are. All right, so this is how we're going to end. I love the old song, Billy Graham made it famous. Just as I am, without one plea. Let me go back to verse 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Look at this. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to hear me on something. Please hear me. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8 and you'll discover this. You will be a slave to something or someone. You will either serve God or you will serve gods. You were created to worship. Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity in our hearts. So in 2017, you will either serve the Lord or you'll serve whatever your God is or whoever your God is. You will not serve both. And so this morning, some of you need to take the right next step toward him. So here's what we're going to do. Alan, Michael, James will be here. Our life group leaders will be up front and they're here so that you can pray with them. Whatever you say to them right here stays right here. Goes to the Lord. And you're able to do business with God. And while you do that, we're all going to sing this old hymn. Uh, Neil, will you bring us the words to that? Look at these words. You know, do, do you ever sing something so often you forget what it means? Just as I am without one plea. That's how Abraham was. Um, He was an idolater, right? He didn't have a plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. If you don't know Christ this morning, your only plea is the blood of Christ, shed for your sins, and you can come to him and receive forgiveness because his blood was shed for for you and that thou bids me come to thee. It is God who does the bidding. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Let's keep reading. Just as I am and waiting not. Choose you when, church? This day. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark block called sin. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. Amen? Do you believe that, church? Oh, Lamb of God, I come. I come. Look at this last verse. Just as I am, though tossed about. Anybody identify with being tossed about? Yes. With many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without. Oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come. All right, so if you're a life group leader, uh, staff, would you come down here to the front right now and be available and let's sing this song together. Uh, Everyone stand.